Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Alid, for that very kind um, welcome. Um, wow, that's good. We, we were praying this morning. We had a uh, wonderful time in the prayer meeting this morning. Just uh, such a... Uh, yeah, just such a good time of uh, connecting with God, really seeking Him, doing business with Him, encountering His presence. Um, prayer really is very, very important, and uh, I do want to encourage you to prioritise prayer on Wednesday night. Um, I think sometimes we can get to the end of a busy day and, uh, or a busy week and we think, well, you know, I'm not going to be missed. No one's going to know whether I'm there praying or not. But I think God does something when we gather together in prayer. We start by worshipping and just enjoying God. Um, then whatever it is on the prayer agenda, we want to pray through and we want to seek God for. And we catch something together as we're praying as well. And although it's hard work and although we're giving ourselves, we know that God is at work as we pray. And as we ask him for stuff, we believe that he releases blessing that otherwise he wouldn't release. Otherwise we wouldn't pray. And so I just want to encourage you. You know, you hit that Wednesday, 6.30, you're getting in from work, and you're just thinking, you know what? I think I'll stay in tonight. I'm just feeling a bit weary. Can I ask you? No, 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 no. That's not the right response. To say, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to join my family seeking God, going after him and seeing what he will do as we gather together as family, pray and uh, ask him for stuff. So is that all right? Just encourage you to uh, join us in that. This evening we're going to be continuing our James Preach series, James, Religion That God Accepts. I thought Andrew did a phenomenal job last week, particularly as he unpacked that whole word religion and how that isn't um, irrelevant for us um, actually as we pursue God and as we work out our relationship with him, it affects our external behaviour, it affects how we live our lives. And this evening I'm going to be looking, I think, at one of the biggest problems that blights the church. It could be one of the biggest problems that blights society, but I'll be confident in saying it's one of the biggest problems that that blights the church. And when you see what it is, you may think, well, no, it doesn't seem that big. I'm sure there's some bigger problems out there. But the particular problem with this thing we're going to look at is it is so sneaky and it is so hidden that most of us aren't even aware that we're doing it. That we, it's so part of who we are and it's so part of our lives that unless a mirror is held up, we don't even realise that it exists in our own hearts. And that's my intention for this evening is that I'm going to hold a bit of a mirror up. It's actually sort of two sides because I know as I'm looking and as I'm preaching this evening, it's as much shining into my life um, as it is shining into your lives. But I really do pray that this very subtle and discreet problem that can cause so many issues within relationships and churches will be exposed this evening and that God will do business in our hearts and lives. Are we open to that? Good. You didn't convince me. 
You're, 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 you're open to it. You're open to it. Good. I heard it. God heard it. Okay? So you've got no choice. So let's have a look. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 2. Um, we're going to read the first 13 verses of this chapter. My brothers, which we know is brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, saying, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor, those who are poor in the world, to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name by which you were called? If you really fulfil the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for, it, for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do, if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are, who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who's shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, I just want to pray, would you please help me this evening to communicate really well. I pray for the fresh unction of your Holy Spirit to come and empower me and enliven me and make my mind sharp and to make my tongue effective. And I ask for each of us here, Lord God, that we would be both hearers of your word and those who put it into practice. Lord, we're looking for your grace. We're looking for your empowering. Uh, we're looking for your presence to come and work wonderfully in the preaching of your word just as much as when we worshipped and glorified your name earlier come and help us we pray in Jesus name amen excellent so we're going to look at the whole subject of no partiality favoritism or judgments we're going to sort of unpack that partiality is a bit like favoritism so that's the reason I put the word favoritism in just in case you were not aware of quite what it meant and we're going to look at it under five um, sections we're going to follow what these 13 verses are splitting it down into five sections because James has joined up his argument and uh, I just really want to unpack it to you believing that as I do that um, God is going to speak to you. So the first thing I notice is a command. As I said, James is a very punchy writer. 50 commands in just over 100 verses in the book of James. He doesn't let you have an easy ride when you read it. It's one after the other after the other. Every other verse, he's telling you something you should be doing. So what does he start in verse 1? He says, My brothers, sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. As I said two weeks ago, this message tonight is not 
sort of a life improvement message. It's a message for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters. If you have not been born again, if you are not following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, this message is of no help to you at all. Because it's not about effort. It's not about trying to modify human behaviour. It's about the hope that has been planted in our hearts bearing fruit and growing and changing our lives. And it's so important that we know that because James doesn't put a lot of theology in some ways. There's just a lot of practical instruction in there, one thing after the other. Being a Christian is not about conforming our outward behaviour. It's about the inward work overflowing as we look to follow Jesus and do the best we can by him. Now there's a book over on the bookstall called Finally Alive by John Piper. I want to encourage you, um, if you've never read it, go over there, buy it and read it. Because it's all about this wonderful salvation that we enjoy. And he spends probably about 100 pages, 120 pages just unpacking it. Because if you don't understand what happened to you when you became a Christian, you won't grow right. You, you just won't. And so many of the problems we have as Christians is because we don't understand how good God has been and what he has done in our lives. So I just want to encourage you to grab hold of that. Then James goes straight in and he says, show no partiality. What he basically means is do not have an unfair bias towards a person or a thing. Do not accept or judge on the basis of external appearance. Don't judge on someone's age, on their race or nationality, on their appearance, not even on the first words that come out of their mouth. Don't judge, don't show favoritism on those external things. This is what James says. Both judgment and partiality are like two sides of the same coin. So partiality is to show favoritism. And often we want to show favoritism to people who are like us. They think like us. Maybe they act like us. They look like us. They're they're the sorts of people we like to favour. Or we, on the other side of the coin, on the basis of external appearance, we judge people. We say we don't like what they said or how they acted or how they came across. And James says we're not to show partiality. We are not to judge people. Jesus repeatedly tells us not to do so. Matthew chapter 7, he uses that amazing illustration of the plank and the speck. And he says, uh, you know, if your brother has got a speck in his own eye, what are you to do? You're to take the firstly, you're to make sure you've taken the plank out of your own eye first before you look to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You're not to judge. And it is so easy for us to do that. It is so difficult for us to honour people who are different from us. To see the treasure in people who are different from us. 
Maybe because they think differently, different, have, a, have a different worldview, different perspective. And that's what James is talking about. And he goes on and he brings an example in verses 2 to 4. And he says, imagine that a rich person comes in here this evening. They drive up in their nice, white, shiny Mercedes. They jump out, all designer clothes, come in, speak really nicely, come across absolutely brilliantly. And uh, what do we do? Well, we welcome them warmly. We find them a really nice seat. We make sure they're well looked after. But someone comes in just a little bit later and they smell a bit funny. And when they come in, they speak in a way that is a little bit odd and we're not quite certain how it's all going to work out or how it's all going to fit in. And James says, this is a worship setting. He says... We don't treat them with the same honour and respect as the other person, all based on what? External appearance. Based on whether they're rich or whether they're poor. And this is James's sort of um, judgment of it. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Wow. I didn't know Christians had evil thoughts. Did you? I did really. But, but he's, he's full on, isn't he? He says you've become judges with evil thoughts. What, what that, that, that thought, word thoughts means to form opinions, conclusions or reasoning based purely on the external. It's wrong. It's sin. James says that is not meant to be part of the church. Now, it is part of the world. And when we become Christians, we get a new heart, but we don't get a new way of thinking. That we have to renew by the word of God and the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the provocation and support of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's that's how we change but James says, this isn't here. This is, that's an evil way of thinking when we go on first opinions. Or first, um, no, not first opinions. Um, uh, first impressions, that's the one. We are not to judge on external appearances. Why? Because we know that God looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. He knows what's going on in the inside. How quick are you? And Andrew picked this up, but I'm just going to nail it again. Because the reality is it's a problem for us. It is. Problem for me. It's a problem for us. How often do we jump to conclusions with Facebook posts? On the news? When we're we're just watching the news or reading the news? How often do we jump to conclusions with the grumpy shop assistant? Or the guy that cut us up in the car. Or the mum that shouted at us um, as a school teacher. How often do we jump to conclusions, form opinions, 
without giving space to really know what is going on on the inside. James then goes on and he brings explanation. And again, this is provoking. And by the way, as I said two weeks ago, most of us, if not all of us, are in the rich category. Okay? So if you've got disposable income, you're in the rich category. Okay? He makes comment on those who are wealthy and those who are poor. Firstly, those in poverty. He says, we shouldn't show partiality to the rich because God doesn't. In fact, God has a bias towards the poor. He has mercy on those who are poor in the world, desiring to make them rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom And we need to share God's heart. That's the reality of what he says there. God has a bias towards those who are poor. How's my bias? How's your bias? And the reality is, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29 where the Apostle Paul is describing us before we came to know Christ, he says a few of these things. He says, sorry, and sorry if I burst any bubbles here tonight, okay? He says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the To shame the wise. God chose the... To shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. And even in our salvation, we were, we were spiritually bankrupt. We were in absolute poverty without God. But then secondly, he then just picks up the wealthy. And again, he's very provoking um, and straight to the point. I mean, if you read James, one of his emphases is the fact that um, actually wealth is more of a hindrance to growing in God than poverty is. That actually the love of money is more of a hindrance than actually not having what you need when it comes to the kingdom of God but he then goes on and he just says look the reality is for those who are rich aren't they the ones that drag you into court aren't aren't they the ones that um, abuse you and take advantage of you now not not everyone who's rich does that but it's again James it's just matter of fact straight to the point in it It's very rare for a poor person to oppress you. It's a reality. They can't. They don't have the means. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not being political. I'm not sort of not like a party political statement or anything like that. It's not reflecting who I will or won't vote for at the next general election or anything. It's just, just what it says in James as he provokes, as he stirs. 
And then he goes on to the law, and I just want to linger here for a little bit because this is very, very provoking. A lot of what James says refers back to the Old Testament law because, because he was writing to Jewish people um, who are outside of Israel. So he keeps referring back, and it reinforces, it reinforces the teaching of Jesus and what he is saying. You can see a c- continuity in what he is saying. And he comes back and he refers to the royal law of love. In verses 8 to 11. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing well. He's referring back to Jesus' teaching. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Just to, just to qualify something, he doesn't say you must love yourself first and then love your neighbour. doesn't say that. He says, love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus and James assumed that we loved ourselves. That was the starting point. The provocation was we would have loved the people around us as, as much as we love ourselves. And if you read a bit earlier, if you read what Jesus actually said, what was it he said? He said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbour as yourself. So when it comes to loving ourselves, and I I think it's right that we have a right self-respect, at best that drops to second place, a joint second. So when you came to know Christ, your first priority was what? To love God with all of your heart. The second, joint second, is to love the person next, sat next to you, however much they wind you up, as much as you love yourself. And when you read in the New Testament, you find that we're told to love our neighbours, husbands are told to love their wives, We're told to love our enemies. There isn't much wriggle room. I think probably the only place, the only thing I think it doesn't say is to love ourselves. Because there's an inbuilt belief that we already do that. And I think we just need to be a little careful because modern counselling always will come back to the fact that we need to love ourselves first. And I think there is a rightness that we need to have that respect for ourselves. But actually first and foremost... We need to love God. We need to prioritise him. We need to give him the first place in our lives. After that, Jesus uses the story of the Good Samaritan um, in Luke chapter 10. Do you know the story of the Good Samaritan? There's a guy that's coming down from Jerusalem. He's going down this road and some robbers set upon him. They beat him up and they leave him for dead. And then a couple of religious guys come along. One of them is a priest who has just been at the temple doing the temple service. And he comes along and he crosses to the other side of the road and walks past. Then it picks up in Luke chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. So likewise, a Levite who has also been ministering at the temple, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, 
bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. It's interesting when the Levites saw, he crossed over to the other side. He saw something or someone he didn't want to see. Didn't want to get involved. He was heading home. He wanted to see his family. He didn't really have time to get stuck in here. So he saw and he crossed over. What did the Samaritan do? And it's, the Samaritan would have been despised by Jewish people. They, they, they didn't understand God. They were like a bit of outcasts within the whole nation. But when this Samaritan man saw, what did he do? He saw... He didn't cross over. What was the first thing? What was the reaction? What was the first thing that happened after he saw with his eyes? He had compassion. And what came from the compassion was action. He saw, he had compassion, he acted. How often is my compassion tank empty? How often is it because I'm tired, because I don't have the emotional strength, I want to cross over to the other side of the road when I see that person coming? How often is it I just think, no, I can't be bothered today? How often do you find yourself in that situation where you see something and rather than looking long enough to let compassion well up in your heart, you immediately cross over and walk the other way because you know that if you linger, it's going to affect you. How often when the poor person comes into the meeting or that annoying person comes across your path at work, or you see your neighbour going out to do their bins, so you think, I'll wait in for another five minutes before I leave. How often is it that we don't give space for compassion to grow, to see what God wants to do when we open our hearts up enough to love our neighbour as ourself? But I don't think God would have us draw on our natural compassion. I think when we feel we're empty, that's the very time that we need to be asking him for help and stepping out in faith and allowing him to fill our compassion tanks, as it were, and to minister to one another in a way that we don't have the natural energy to do. When it comes to the law, much against popular belief in modern church, there are not acceptable sins and unacceptable sins. Do not commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Definitely please don't murder, or not on a Sunday anyway, in one of the meetings. Cause all sorts of problems. Don't show partiality. That works directly against loving your neighbour as yourself. 
Partiality is the exact opposite of loving your neighbour as yourself. And the reality of it is, we all fall. We do. And we need the grace of God to reflect him. And then in the last couple of verses, James, just in case we haven't got the point, talks about judgment. <laughs> you know, just in case he feels he needs to seal the deal. Okay, I'm really going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go for it now. He says this. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who's shown no mercy but mercy triumphs over justice the law of liberty true freedom is to obey God and do what pleases him every single one of us here will come before the judgment seat of Christ as Christians you will stand before him and you will give an account for how you've lived and what you've done with what he's given you he's our loving father he loves us loads but you will give an account it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil that's written to Christians that's written to a church just like us And he says, we have received so much mercy. Therefore, let's be really good at giving it out. My brothers, show no no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory. Paul, could I just ask you to uh, come back up? Is that all right? Why don't we stand? I, th- I think, I don't know about you, I think it's quite thought-provoking. Um... Might feel a little bit sombre. That's all right in church every now and again. I'd love a bit more celebration if I'm honest. But, but it's what it says in James chapter 2 verses 1 through to 13. And so therefore it's relevant for us today. The Father has a plan for you, every single one of you. And that's that you'll be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's his plan. He is going to conform you to the likeness of his son. You're going to look like Jesus. And his plan is that day by day by day, we get more and more like him. And as we get more and more like him, the impact we have on those that don't know him gets greater and greater and greater. One of the things that reflected Jesus' life was that he was a compassionate man. That he was a man that loved. When he saw the crowds... He saw they were sheep without a shepherd. It says he had compassion on them. What Hastings needs is a compassionate church. 
What St. Leonard's needs is a church that doesn't try and draw on its own compassion wells, but draws on the compassion of Jesus Christ. That looks at Christ who has lavished his love and faithfulness on us, even though we really didn't deserve it. And say, oh God, help me to reflect your compassion to those that don't deserve it. Oh Lord, would you come and search our hearts right now? In the end, we all have different weaknesses and we have different struggles, but Father, you know them all and you love us anyway. This isn't about getting sorted so that you'd love us a bit more because you, you can't love any of us more than you already do right now. And I, I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, please would you reveal if there are particular situations just where we're showing partiality or where we're judging where we're, we're looking at a situation and jumping to conclusions and thinking badly. We've got a bit of a superior attitude because we are right and they are wrong. Where we're showing partiality, I'm going to spend time with you, but I really want to avoid you over here. Where we want to spend time with people that make us feel good and build us up, but actually when I spend time with you, you drain me actually and you wear me out and at the end of it, I just feel really tired and exhausted so I don't really want to spend time with you now. Lord, I pray fill us with your compassion. Lord, I thank you that when we were weak and when we were needy, Lord, you came and you rescued us and you made us kings. You made us rich in your kingdom. Once we were poor but now we are rich. And I ask, Holy Spirit, please would you search our hearts. Lord, I pray would you show, would you expose wrong partiality, judgment where it exists, within marriage relationships, within the family, within church, in work or on Facebook. Would you reveal it right now, I pray, Holy Spirit. Lord, we say we're sorry. Lord, please will you forgive us. And it might be right for you to name. If, you, if you, something comes to mind, it might be right just for you to name that instance, that person maybe, that situation or circumstance. Ask for forgiveness. And I pray, Holy Spirit, Lord, as we come to you, oh God, would you flood us afresh with your presence. We love, we love, we love your presence, Lord God. Would we know your love refreshing us? Would you give us fresh compassion energy for those around us that we'd just rather not be with? That annoying neighbour. Lord, I pray for that annoying neighbour I think there's someone here actually who knows. It's that annoying neighbour. I pray, Lord, that they'd see him this week. They'd go straight out. And I pray, Lord God, they'd be a means of kingdom advance with this neighbour. Lord, I pray in that staff room where there is just a destructive conversation going on and, and, and people and situations you'd just rather not be about. Lord, I ask for grace, insight and wisdom to know how to bring life and change and peace. 
Lord, I pray for those clients that we just don't want to spend time with. We want to make the appointment as short as we can. Lord, I ask for just your patience and your love to overflow. Lord, I pray we would be like the good Samaritan in every situation we find ourselves in. Even when we're in a rush, even when we want to get home, see family, Lord God, Lord, just, just prompt us to slow down, to make time for the person in front of us, I ask. Lord, we're living for you. We want to follow you. We say, Lord, would we be more and more and more conformed to the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Would compassion grow in our hearts, I pray. We ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.